Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The right-wing cable news and conservative talk radio attracts millions of older Americans like graying moths drawn to an angry flame. But why should someone who was either apolitical or or a Democrat in their younger days suddenly become addicted to conservative talk radio in their twilight years? Filmmaker Jen Senko wondered about her World War II veteran dad and Kennedy Democrat father had been trans why he had been transformed into a Fox News fanatic suddenly and inexplicably railing against minorities and homosexuals, poor people and the Democrats. And that is honest to God exactly what has happened in my own family. So I am really looking forward to our conversation today with the director of the the brainwashing of my dad, and that would be Jen Senko. Jen, welcome to film school. Oh, thank you, Mike, for having me. I'm happy to be here. Um, well, let's start at the beginning. I mean, when uh, in your own story, which is really this is sort of a a family story, but obviously, and if, I know for a fact that it's it's more than plausible. <laughs> it's happening. Mm-hmm. It's happened to so many people of my dad's age. Certainly, about you know, yes. So, tell me a little bit what prompted you to uh, when you're seeing this in your own family to uh, embark on a documentary about that. Hello. Hi. Can you hear oh, me? Oh, hi. Uh, I don't know what happened, but I suddenly lost you. Oh, I'm sorry. So I picked up my other phone. It might have been that I was on my um, my handheld. Huh. Um, okay. So I was going to say that, yeah, it's, it's sort of like an epidemic that's spread, and it's happening to other people of other ages as well. But um, it, what happened with my dad is m- my family moved to a place where he suddenly had a long commute to work. And for company, he turned on the radio, and um, Bob Grant was the talk show king at that time. That's in New York, um, right? That's New York and City? He was, pardon me? That's New York City, right? Yeah, that, yeah, back then. And <clears throat> he was uh, just openly racist, sexist, um, homophobic, you know, and pretty vocal about it. Um, so that's who my dad started listening to. Um, And then um, eventually after he retired, he discovered Rush Limbaugh. And, um, you know, you could just, marked changes in him just started happening. Um, And it was really quite disturbing for the whole family. I I think the thing that's most troubling about this phenomena is that uh, it's, it's something... In their in their very personality that changes, um, and I'll just speak from from my own experience. My dad was always a very very smart. I mean, he was a math uh, uh, major in and taught mathematics when he uh, was younger. Worked mm-hmm. in a com- for a computer company. Uh, was a man who I mean is a is a man who was a salesman, a very affable guy. And now, if you talk to him about politics. He will, if you say something to him that you consider to be a fact-based argument, he will just, and he said this to me, he said, well, you have your set of facts and I have mine. That's a common phrase, actually. It, yeah. 
I mean, other people I've interviewed have told me exactly that same thing. Like, your your facts don't matter. Yeah. Mine do. So and, it's this, this whole world of right-wing media, that, you know. And, and that's what makes it so troubling. I mean, it makes it truly troubling is that someone, and, and I'm even willing, I'm willing to say, all right, Dad, let's have a discussion and maybe, just maybe, your facts are more correct. But that's usually where it ends. That, it doesn't, we don't get any further than that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, the anger is just so strong that, um, it, you know, once that, as hear yourself think, this group um, that is battling this uh, right wing media also would say, you know, once your amygdala is activated, you know, there goes rational thought. You, you can't think rationally. It's, it's, they're, they're just way too emotional. Um, concerning it well there's an aspect to uh, the brainwashing of my dad which uh, there's a to this story there's a part of the, this telling of the in your film which i really hadn't considered before but um the fact that uh for a long time people like bob grant uh even rush limbaugh were local there was not a, a national um sort right. of uh, reach and we can we'll get into all that in a minute but the thing that struck me was the fact that people riding around in their cars and the fact that commute times are now so much longer for people in driving to work or anywhere practically speaking and so people are in their cars more and so therefore they're more likely to be turning on an am station in which one of these people like let's say limbaugh uh mark savage i mean michael savage mark levin um sean hannity they're more likely to be able to listen to them for an extended period of time and I think that's been something that I hadn't really thought about before, the fact that people are in their right. cars for a lot longer. What was, was that? Right. So tell me a little bit about that aspect of it. Um, yeah, and 97% of uh, talk radio is uh, quote-unquote conservative, though I don't even <clears throat> think of it as conservative. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with conservative. I think of it as uh, you know, radical, actually. Yeah. But, you know, what happens when you're in a car and you're alone with this voice, um, and in, they make it seem this way on purpose, is they become your friend. Um, it's intimate, you know, and in a way it's seductive. It's this voice that you become familiar with, and you're listening to it day after day, and then and one of their modus operandi is to um, act like you are part of their club, and you get it, and you understand. So, um, in that sense, it's it's very seductive. Yeah, exactly. These people are alone for for hours, and this is this becomes the voice that speaks to them, yeah. you know, and understands them. Well, let's go back to sort of the origins, and, and and the film, by the way, is terrific because it kind of yeah. walks through the the litany, the sort of the history of uh, how this all evolved, and, and and this was not something that really happened by uh, some, you know, it happened by design. This this right. the 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 uh, this radicalizing of our American media um, has happened because some very powerful people w willed it to happen 
and it goes back as so many things that I find troubling and wrong about America goes back really to the Reagan administration. I mean, there are some origins with Nixon and Roger Ailes, which we will get into as well. But really, the Reagan administration made all of this seem like it was okay. Well, that, that's true. I mean, it, it does go back to 1964. It goes back, you know, earlier. But yeah. Reagan, um, being a likable, affable fellow um, and an actor, knew really how to appeal to um, the ordinary people. And he's the one who came in with the mantra that, um, you know, government is bad um, and small government is is good and the smaller the better and um presented you know reagan economics this whole um trickle down theory and sold it he was just a great salesman he sold it to the american public but not only that um he um prevented the fairness doctrine uh from co- coming into law in 1987 and um you know, the fairness doctrine was sort of about um, equal time on uh, radio, and also the emphasis was local. So if you had, you know, a problem with your local station, you were supposed to be able to call them up and say, hey, you know, I didn't hear this view. Can you have this view on? Um, um, you know, and it would serve local. It's supposed to, it was designed, the fairness doctrine was designed to protect the airwaves because they belong to the public. Um, And so when he abolished that um, in 1988, the very next year, Rush Limbaugh went national. And um, I think that's when all hell broke loose. Well, you actually have a clip from his, his address. I remember, by the way, I do remember seeing this. Limbaugh, and because Fox made such a, (laughs) excuse me, made such a big deal about it, and they broadcast this national, as he even put it, this is his first tr- time addressing the nation, I think is how Limbaugh put it in, in this mm-hmm. speech. And by the way, the the crazy was on full display during that speech. I, I, I think it's important to point out yeah. that he was frenetic and and just weird. Yeah, uh, good point. Yeah. And yeah, so, and I, so, I noticed that too. Yeah. There was something, and again, looking back on his history now, we can look back on his history of drug usage, and I, I can't help but wonder, you know, what might have been going on otherwise, besides the fact that he was giddy over the fact he was going to have a national audience. But there was something weird about it anyway. Definitely. Definitely he was hepped up. Yeah. So, um, but but that aside, so, and, and this is sort of, I don't want to get too far ahead of the story. And you have some wonderful, sure. by the way, the film is uh, The Brainwashing of My Dad, and I want to point out, the, we're speaking with Jen Senko, and she's the director of the film. It, it's uh, opening here in Los Angeles at the Lemley Music Hall. That's today, March 18th, as we speak. Um, it's also opening up in New York at the Cinema Village, for those of people who might be listening to us through the miracle of the intrawebs. Uh, so why, so, um, so let's, so we just talked about the fairness doctrine going away and, and when that happened, that was a sea change in the way that we, we got our points of view, because as you said, it was mostly intended to keep the local affiliates in a sort of a balanced perspective. Uh, and then right after that, we had, the, uh, during the Clinton administration, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Telecommunications Act. Which, That's right. So mm-hmm. talk us a little bit about uh, that particular 
mm-hmm. the impact that, that that has had on on um, the the growth right. of right wing media. That was not in 1996, and um, that was actually bipartisan. Um, right. They were getting a lot of pressure from um, big media corporations um, to deregulate, and um, so it was called the Telecommunications. Reform Act, with the reform in quotes, um, because uh, it, it used to say, I think, it, it, I forget the exact date, it might have been 1949 when it was, um, um, you know, first out, that um, you, you couldn't have any one company or corporation owning too much media because then... Um, the diversity of views might be um, just dictated by by them, yeah. and so um, they re- reformed it so that you could have uh, media consolidation, and um, that was actually in February of 1996, and then in October um, of 1996, um, Fox News was born. Um, yeah. Just a coincidence, I'm sure. But, yeah. Um, yeah, the Telecommunications Act allowed for all of this con- consolidation. So, you know, you had some companies like Clear Channel go from maybe 60 programs to 6,000. I don't know the exact numbers. I don't have them in front of me right now because I had to switch my phone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But a tremendous, but, um, a tremendous upswing. In yeah, the, in the you, yeah, you get the idea. Yeah. And so from there, then it's really kind of where we are today in a lot of ways, right? The consolidation, we now have, I think there's four or five. At one time, for a long time, it was six. I think that's even consolidated even more so. It's probably less than that now, yeah. Uh, I don't know exactly how many, four or five. Yeah, companies. Rupert Murdoch owns a lot of it, though. (laughs) Right, and and now let's introduce the Dark Prince himself uh, in the form of uh, Rupert Murdoch and his (laughs) Archangel, uh, Roger Ailes. So Ailes is the part of this story that goes back to the Nixon administration. My, right. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Ailes' role. And then ultimately, uh, like I said, the Dark Lord himself, Rupert Murdoch, let's talk <laughs> a little bit about how all of that sort of fits together. Um, okay. Well, um, Roger Ailes was um, a young television producer. He produced the Mike Douglas show, and he was um, really brilliant um you know as gabriel sherman says in his book the wonderkin of tv um and nixon was running and he had of course seen as everybody had uh nixon's uh, debate with with kennedy and kennedy sat there smooth and uh confident and calm and and handsome and nixon had a sweaty upper lip and was shifty-eyed and um you know didn't like he he just didn't do well so everybody said that saw it on tv nixon clearly lost so um roger ailes groomed nixon he convinced him like you know tv matters you kind of gotta get with the program no pun intended and you know taught him like how to speak in short snappy one-liners and appeal to the regular people and um how to wear makeup correctly and all that um, so he helped Nixon become more appealing. Um, and then he kind of got ensconced in the White House. And during that time that he was in the White House, um, there was this memo created that he was passing around and that had 
his notes all over it that was um, it was titled entitled a, a geo uh, how to get the GOP on TV news um, um, forgive me if I slaughtered the title a little bit but yeah. you get the point yeah. um, and um, really, it was the blueprint for Fox, and right. um, it had comments in it like 59% of um, people get their news from TV. Um, they want their thinking done for them. Uh, pe- people are dumb. Um, yeah. You know, y- you you tell them what they think, and, you know, they, because Walt, Walter Cronkite was around at that time, and there was bad news that was coming out about Vietnam and Nixon, and so they thought, like, well, we need our own news um, vehicle, and so, um, you know, to counter that. And so um, that, that memo was, um, you know, created and, and passed around. Yeah. So that really was, in fact, at the time it was even considered, I wouldn't say such a radical concept. It was something that I just, that, uh, of a GOP TV. There was, as I recall, there was even an attempt to get it off the ground, but really didn't go anywhere. And it only took off when um, Rupert Rupert Murdoch, who uh, started out in the world, well, well, still in the world of publishing, he he owns a number of, I remember when Murdoch came in, he took over uh, a a magazine in New York City um, that that was a pretty popular magazine, which its name escapes me. He took it over and there was a lot of back and forth about the impact this guy was going to have on the magazine. What was the name? Anyway, and uh, and he kept protesting. No, no, I'm, I'm good for I'm good for journalism. And nothing could have been further from the truth. Once he got in, he pretty much turned it into the rag that he he had intended to all along. But it w- again, and without getting too far into the weeds here, uh, it, Murdoch was the the real kind of the 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 catalyst for for Fox News. So tell us a little bit about Rupert in terms of that. Well, basically, um, he had the the money, and um, he wanted to uh, create a, a cable station that would um, be um, quote unquote conservative, and so um, the the perfect guy <laughs> to hire was someone who already had these plans perfectly laid out, yeah. and that was um, Roger Ailes. He was the perfect one to do that. So, um, uh, you know, that's pretty much all I, I yeah. can see about him in, in that regard. Well, well, let, let's. Uh, we're, by the way, we're speaking with uh, Jen Senko. That she is the director of the film "The Brainwashing of My Dad." It's a documentary about just what it sounds like: uh, the the rise of right wing radio and TV, and the impact that it's having on people. I'll say of a certain age, of a certain uh, certainly predominantly white, me- older white men, who and you get into this in the film, sort of. The, the psychological slash political makeup of, and why things seem they seem to be so receptive to this line of thinking and ideology, which is in the film. By the way, Matthew uh, Modine is also, uh, he, he narrates as, as well as yourself. You do a, a, a lot of first person in this, and as well as Matthew comes in and uh, does a wonderful job in this. You've got Bill Plimpton to do some animation for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's mm-hmm. terrific stuff. Now, uh, so... It's really, and let's frame Roger Ailes as he is. He is a ideologue of the first order. 
conservative mm-hmm. barely really scratches what he really is in terms of that and his fealty to the guys like no Grover Norquist and others is uh, is why Fox News. What it's the it's the fuel upon which Fox News runs, if you will. Ailes is complete control over programming and what's mm-hmm. said over the air. Is that fair? Is that a fair statement? Oh yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, again, Gabriel Sherman's book, "The Loudest Voice in the Room," about Roger Ailes. Oh man, that that it's so good. It's fascinating, and it's really clear that he just. He just dictates what they, you know, what he wants them to say. It's all, you know, basically, you know, he, it's his mouthpiece. Yeah. Well, let's switch gears a little bit in the time Mm -hmm. we have left, because it is about your dad. I mean, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. your dad is the, is the kind of the gateway through which we see uh, the transformation of his, his worldview and certainly the impact that it's had on your family. Talk right. a little bit about sort of as you watch this happening. What was your feeling? And I know you you have uh, siblings as well. Talk about that, and and because I think this is a story that is re- is repeated over and over throughout the country. So talk about that as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I I kind of felt like I saw the writing on the on the wall early, and um, I don't think that anybody in my family took it too seriously, you know, some of the things that he would just say that were unexpected, you know, like all of a sudden he's, like, objecting to feminists, objecting to Hooters, when Hooters hadn't even been in his vocabulary before. But once he got into email, then everybody became aware of his radicalized um, new beliefs, and he... excuse me, joined everything from um, the Heritage Foundation to the NRA, even though he never was a hunter. (laughs) And um, even in World War II, he was made a medic. So all of these things which hadn't mattered to him before now mattered. But what happened is he started sending just tons of emails Every every day, every week, yeah. to all of us, um, <clears throat> as if he were, were he was a man on a mission, and um, wanted to tell us how horrible we were for being Democrats and how they were evil, and um, they were destroying the country, and we're going to put anybody who objected to their philosophy in uh, like concentration camps and all all of this stuff. Um, and some of it was so obviously untrue, which I later learned was, um, you know, because a lot of them were written up by these people in think tanks, just c- coming up with these emails and pumping them out into the public. But we had asked them, they were, they were so nasty and disturbing that we begged him, please stop sending us these emails and he would send them to everybody, you know, even my friends, whose yeah, <laughs> email yeah. address he had. Yeah. So it was upsetting. And eventually, my my brothers and I um, had to block him. And and you know, it was like not even. It was like, who is this man? You know, posing as our dad. It was like invasion of the body snatchers. You know. Um, he just became very extreme and radicalized, and that became the most important thing in his life. Um, my mom kind of stuck with it because 
she really got into the computer and um you know they would sit in the same room and send these like poisonous emails like rockets back and forth at each other and then get up and say what's for dinner they could not talk about politics at all because if they did there would be explosions and anger that could last for days um so they tried to stay away from it so i saw it as a very destructive force it was very upsetting um my older brother also said it just felt like the family was coming apart yeah and um I mean, I, 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 it may sound like I'm exaggerating, but I'm I'm not at all. It was just a horrible, horrible time, and um, I felt so bad because my dad was also angry and fearful at, all of the time. You know, he was obsessed with it. Well, I I can tell you again. I'm sort of inject myself into this, but. It is, and uh, pardon the pun, but it's the elephant in the room at these family gatherings, Thanksgiving, you know, Easter, Christmas, those kind of things. When we're sitting around the table, you got 15 or 20 people sitting around. Inevitably, something about the world will come up, something about politics or just, I mean, it's just almost, it's inevitable. And there's either, it's either the stony silence from my dad, he sort of shuts down, doesn't say anything at all, but it's obvious he's upset or it's uh you know it's this sort of you know kind of angry sort of sputtering of things uh out of his mouth that are just he just he's he's almost shaking when he when he's saying these things he's so upset yeah. about it um my dad would too shake yeah mm-hmm. well, i mean honestly there i mean there's something uh, there is something that is more to this is the thing of uh, about fox news and i think one of the reasons why it's it's so um, successful at what it's what it's been doing, mm-hmm. and that is occasionally. I watch Fox News because I live with my dad, mm-hmm. and it's on, and I will watch it. I will mm-hmm. watch it because I want to know what is being said. Me and, too. Uh, yeah. Well, good. I, I feel I feel good about that. And thank mm-hmm. thank you for saying so because I do. I feel like I need to know what mm-hmm. they're saying. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing is, when they're caught in an absolute lie or something that's so completely off the off the rails when they're caught at that they double down mm-hmm. I, I have never it's a tactic i've never seen them apologize or walk anything back they just double down and instead of becoming something that it either completely disappears off the radar that like mm-hmm. they never said it it never happened or mm-hmm. they get twice as many people on to say the same thing over and over and over again Right, but they not only um, they, they they feel safe about doubling down because it's it's uh, it's like a circular yeah. um, echo chamber because you know the RNC used to give its facts to its talking points to to Fox. Uh, now they probably give talking points to the RNC, but and then Fox would give you know the same talking points would go to the hate radio, the same talking points would go to all of the um, online like mm-hmm. like Drudge and Breitbart and Newsbusters, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Newsmax, so Newsmax. there's this little yeah. world that yeah. people can um, they can quote unquote fact check and get hear exactly what they heard on Fox or um, on Mark Levin or Rush Limbaugh um, or online. 
<clears throat> well, so, well, let's go back because in the in the little bit of time we have left, I really want to <laughs> kind of narrow down the, the circle of where a lot of this comes from. And I mentioned uh, Grover Norquist earlier, and but let's talk about his little round table, which is really kind of the the Rosetta Stone for these guys, mm-hmm. right? There, tell us a little bit about that part of the story because I think this is important. By the way, we're speaking with Jen Senko, and she's the director of the film. Uh, the brainwashing of my dad. It opens today here in Los Angeles at the Limley Music Hall. That's in on Wilshire Boulevard in uh, Beverly Hills, L.A. I mean, it's right there somewhere in, in that general area. But it's on Wilshire, great theater, and it's also opening in, in New York at the Cinema Village. So let's talk about Grover Norquist in those last couple of minutes here, because I think it's important. Well, this is what is so brilliant about the right, and um, is they are organized. Um, Grover Norquist essentially, you know, with his Wednesday meetings created this big tent um, for all these different groups like the Christian right and like fur trade activists and what whatever to just um, as long as they signed on to babies, guns, and taxes. <laughs> In other words, um, we're against abortion, um, pro-gun, and against taxes. Um, they could come to these Wednesday meetings and present their point of view, <clears throat> pardon me, and get um, get um, other Republicans to rally for them and get on their side. So it's the whole idea of strength in numbers. And they just were brilliant at that. That was Grover Norquist. And, um, you know, that's partly what made this huge tent. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and, and the, the the left or even the center just doesn't think that way. Well, it, I think, uh, and I'll just because I I'm of this uh, perspective. I think there it's hard for the left to to not be nuanced. It's hard right. for me to speak about an issue and and without bringing into it the shades of gray that are that are, are related to any issue. And right. and it's so this sort of lockstep march that the right is able to sort of marshal when they talk about something there's no room for moral ambiguity in their in their messaging it's either you're with us and you believe that this is righteous and this is the way it is or you're you're a uh, you're an infidel you're a you're a you're something that you there's something terribly wrong with you uh, and if you buy in, you're you're in. You're you're pretty much you buy in. I'm not saying this about every single person who watches Fox News, but generally that's it. You're in. Mm-hmm. And I think when you get to a certain point in your life, and you're thinking, you know, about you get. I don't know why white guys get so angry. I don't know, understand why we're so afraid and why we're so angry. I really don't. I, I'm angry about some things, but I'm not to the point where I alienate everyone around me in order to impose this perspective on people. And and that's what's just really just frightening about it. Um, right. Yeah, well, I, unfortunately, we're out of time, uh, Jen. I, I would love to talk with you for the rest of the hour, but uh, mm-hmm. but this is a terrific film, The Brainwashing of My Dad. As I said, it opens at the Lemley Music Hall today here in Los Angeles, as well as the Cinema Village in, in New York City. Um, and the film, again, uh, you can go to uh, thebrainwashingofmydad.com to find out more about the film and where it will be screening. And yeah, It's also on video on demand as of today. Okay. 
There you go. At one at one thirty Eastern Standard Time, um, it'll be available on on many platforms. Excellent. And <clears throat> people can get all kinds of information on um, our website. It's sort of like a repository. Excellent. The brainwashing of my dad dot com is the is the uh, website. Well, Jenna, it was a pleasure, and uh, keep up the good work. I hope that this uh, is the kind of I mean this Thank this message. You. Yeah, I hope it gets out and people start in, start you know hopefully reeling in their dads all around the yeah. country, because it does seem to be a phenomenon among older white men. So I appreciate your time and your and the work that you've done here. Thank you so much for being on Film School. Oh, thank you so much for having me. All right, take care. You too. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.